Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop. Joined alongside me is Shelby Kang. How did you start the podcast last week, like Shelby? Exactly the same way. But what did you say? Um, I did the same intro, like the typical "Welcome to another episode." Um, and then I introduced in Suthi because she was uh, your replacement last week. Yeah. So how'd she do? Um, I thought she did really well. I don't know if I would say the same for myself, <laughs> but um, actually it was a pretty good episode. Awesome. Well, um, I, I actually haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I saw it uh, pop up in my my podcast. Uh, I get all the notifications for new shows, and this was a busy week, so I haven't got a chance to it yet, but looking yeah, forward to it. Definitely. Um, the first topic I wanted to start with this week is Google related, so it's about snippets. Um, Google's Danny Sullivan has confirmed that web pages in the featured snippet position will no longer be repeated in a regular page one listing of organic listings. So the change will affect 100% of all search listings worldwide. Um, so in the past, it was pretty common to see web pages in the featured snippet um, twice on the first page of results, but moving forward, that's not going to be the case. Um, so now featured snippets counts as the one of the 10 web page listings shown on the first page. Um, so what does this mean for publishers? Do they need to focus more on SEO and creating or augmenting content with snippets in mind? Or is this something that doesn't affect them? Um, I mean, it's going to affect everyone, right? So for a long time, you kind of got the double dip because if you got the rich snippet, you were usually on the first page. And I say usually because... Uh, it was always, but now there are reports that there are things from page two results showing up as rich data. So getting things that were previously on page two showing up is that kind of position zero in the knowledge graph, whether it's a video or an image pack or whatever it is, there's a lot of different variations. Um, it used to be you could have that, and then if you were still ranked number four, you would still show up as that fourth organic result. Um, now that's gone, uh, I would imagine if you're a publisher, you could look at your CTR data and, and Search Console and see how much that's impacted you. But there'll be studies uh, that come out on this. But I mean, if you're a publisher, there's no way that it doesn't affect your traffic in some way. How will it affect overall SEO? I don't know that Google can probably even answer that question. Yeah, I think um, I think it was Moz or people from Moz who were saying that if you're in the featured snippet, then your search result will be on the top of page two. But then I think Danny Sullivan went back and said, well, that's actually not guaranteed. Yeah. You know, you might not end up at the top of page two or at page two at all or on page two at all. So um, still a lot to kind of be sorted out. Yeah. So, I mean, you can kind of take Google at their word here on everything that they say, which is like maybe kind of we'll see. And that's sort of how they've answered every question here recently. I will say this. Um, it can be a really frustrating thing to to see the goalposts move if you're a publisher. Uh, I feel like every time there's a core algorithm update, um, there are always publishers that are really excited because their sites are doing better. But then, you know, uh, I'll spend time and hear from publishers that have been negatively impacted. But one of the things that uh, we've been able to find, and and I think this is a really important thing for all publishers to do, is when you see your, your traffic drop, look at your landing pages and see which pages have been affected the most and figure out what queries those are for. That's data available in Search Console. If you're not sure, you can usually kind of guess based on the page what types of things people are searching for. And then type that in and then look to see what types of results are above you and then look at those pages physically. Looking at a few publishers that were negatively impacted, a lot of them, uh, we, I just saw one where 
the recommended content on their page, the hyperlinks to like other pages on their site in the sidebar, that's where all their H2s were. And they had no H2s in their content. They had no images on the page, no image alt tags, no heading. It was just all body paragraph, uh, no video. And um, they'd lost traffic. And um, to me, it was almost more amazing that they'd been able to stay uh, stay at the top of rankings for a lot of really high volume keywords for so long with content that, that had such what I would say is poor on-page SEO, just kind of some basic stuff. Right, definitely. Imagine what would happen once they kind of transformed that. I know, I, and that's what I told them. I said, if, if this site was, you know, if you would be willing to sell me this site, I would buy it in a heartbeat because I think that I could get it, you know, up and clicking pretty fast. But I gave them some recommendations and things like that I thought that they should do. And um, yeah, I think I think all publishers could probably take a really close look at their, their site um, if they've lost uh, traffic or something like that recently. Definitely. Um, my next topic is also Google search related. So Google has recently redesigned its, redesigned its desktop search experience to feature fave icons. I hope I'm saying that right. Or preferred icons. Favicons. Favicons. Is that what you Oh, weird. Um, I've actually never really heard of them. Um, but for those who don't know, it's pretty much just like a tiny little icon of a brand's logo um, next to each URL. Um, so for ads, they'll see a bolded black ad label next to the URL. And that looks pretty similar to the favicons. Is that how you say it? I don't know. <laughs> so this re redesign first appeared in May on Google um, search for mobile devices. And at the time, Google said that the move was prompted by a desire to help users better understand where information is coming from and what pages have um, what they're looking for. So according to Google, bringing the, that same design to desktops is just kind of their method of creating consistency across all devices. Um, people are also saying, though, that Google is starting to blur the lines between what a user thinks <laughs> is an ad and what is not. So an SEO consultant um, who was interviewed for this article says that now that all the organic search results have favicons and ads are labeled with similarly sized icons, searchers will see the favicons and look over them, also ignoring the ad icon as well. So what are your thoughts on this? Will this actually help users distinguish organic content? Is this kind of Google's way of tipping the scales a little bit? So I have a couple theories on it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if here's the thing, if you there's been a lot of accusations over time of that Google is trying to blur the lines between what's an ad and listings and what's not. And I think overwhelmingly, you can see that there's there's definitely initiative taken there. Um, it doesn't really matter what if, if you think that or not because there's nothing anybody can do about it anyways. But um, they've tested this favicon, favicon thing for a long time. And what you, I mean, this has been something that I've seen them roll out and test a lot, like probably going back almost two years. And so they have the data on whether or not this impacts things or not. So they know that and they've rolled that out now. So if it was something that, it, my guess is it has some kind of dramatic impact. So why not roll it out when you tested it the first time or the second time or over the years? Um, maybe it's consistency. Maybe there's something they just got right this time. But personally, I, 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 there's not many things that I complain about when software companies or anybody changes stuff. Most people hate change. I'm more of the mind of like, don't hate it immediately. Use it. See what you think. Um, the search results to me look far more complex. A long time ago, um, I think it was Sergey, him and 
Larry Page and Sergey were the, the founders of Google. And Sergey reinserted himself because he thought that the Google search screen had gotten too overloaded and bloated and complicated. And when he reinserted himself as CTO, I think it was CTO, he came back and basically simplified everything. And seeing that, my first thought was, I wonder if he's sitting at home now collecting his billions and just going, uh, what have they done? Because to me, it seemed it very easily can lead to that kind of like blindness among like I'm not paying attention to any of it. In fact, I'll look at some of my sites and I know what my icon is and I'll scroll through search results and I'll miss it looking for the it's easier to miss for whatever reason because it's like, I don't know, distracting almost. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I um, I actually kind of like them. I'm not going to lie. I think they're <laughs> I I don't know. If I see like an icon or an image versus like text, to me that kind of says that it's different, but I guess well, was, we'll never know, really. So Google, you're Google's shining example of why <laughs> they've made this change. All right. So the next topic is uh, a little different than our normal topics, but um, it's about Spotify. And I just feel like Spotify is always coming up with cool and new ideas of engaging their users. Um, and the latest example is custom playlists for pets based on their personality. So they surveyed 5,000 music streaming pet owners in five different countries, and they found that 71% of those surveyed play music for their pets. Um, so 81% surveyed also said that they believe their pets enjoy listening to music. Um, so the custom playlists are created through a short survey that users take. So first, you select your type of pet. So you could choose a dog, a cat, a hamster, a bird, or an iguana. I guess people are playing music <laughs> for their iguanas. And then you select traits about your pet's personality. So if your pet is relaxed versus energetic or shy versus friendly. And this helps dictate the vibe of the playlist. And the users also input the name of their pet and a picture, which Spotify uses to create a custom album cover um, for your pet's new playlist. And this album cover actually doubles as an image for users to share on social media. So that's not all. There's more. Um, they also created an infographic that um, with all the information they collected from that initial survey. Um, so some fun findings from that infographic are 55% of people think that their pets like the same music as them. I think that's maybe just projecting on your pet. Um, the genre that pets seem to prefer are classical and soft rock. And nearly 20% of pet owners named their pets after a music artist or a group. So I just wanted to share this because I thought it was a clever and resourceful way to, I don't know, create lots of content with one project pretty much or just really tap into that audience. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I think everything you just mentioned there, infographics, playlists for pets, all those things, it's the, it is the most first world millennial <laughs> description of a, of a product or a content that I can imagine. Um, we, we are doing this entire show now in video as well, so people can watch on YouTube. And um, the gentleman, Suni, who sets up all of our cameras, I noticed when you said Spotify playlist for pets, he was kind of shaking his head <laughs> because I, I, I know Suni's girlfriend, and she definitely is the type of person that is playing playlists for uh, for pets. And I can I, I would imagine that it is probably, oh, we've talked before about like things like ASMR videos and things like that where it's like, there's a type of content that you didn't know people wanted until you tap into it. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, like there's this giant subsection of people that are using this information for something I was unaware of. And I think it does speak to something like to your point about 
publishers in one project being able to like get a lot of really great content that connects to an audience. Um, you can probably look at whatever your topic is and just think creatively, like whatever you find really interesting about that or like quirky, there's a really good chance other people do too, especially if your site is fairly popular or you're, you know, whatever kind of publisher you are, whatever your content is, there's probably unique things that are weird that you could probably tap into. Maybe you waste some time, but maybe you tap into the next Spotify for pets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that idea was so out of the box. Yeah. At the same time, in general, most pet owners are crazy about their pets. So it's kind of just one of those things that is a little bit weird or like you said, quirky, but at the same time, just super effective. And also just relatable. I think people find it like um, there's there's a lot of different types of content, but one type of content people like is the sort of like junk food type of content. Like sometimes when I watch like um, I would say I would say television, but I technically when I watch video, I guess um, sometimes I want to watch like a documentary and then sometimes I just want to watch like Shark Tank or something like that. Just something that's just kind of like barely have to pay attention. You know, is just, that your reality TV show guilty pleasure? Uh I, I mean, that might be the only reality show that I watch. I don't I don't get a chance to watch a lot of video. But, uh, yeah, that, that would be something that I would, like, put on when I'm just, like, I don't want to think, you know. Um, and I think that a lot of people are probably that way where it's, like, sometimes you're in the mood for something, you know, more intellectually stimulating. Sometimes you just need to zone out. And I think if you're a publisher, even if you have content that's maybe in one category more than another, I don't think you have to, like, box yourself in there. Definitely. I think the last thing I'll kind of say about this topic is that I just loved how interactive um, the whole thing was just on the user side of it. You feel like you get your own little playlist, which you do. I know it's all just kind of an algorithm and you just answer questions. But the fact that like the picture of your dog is going to be on the album cover. and I mean, think about you're describing this as like a positive experience and think about how much data the you know Spotify collected from something like that. And I think data collection on users gets a really bad rap right now, but there is a way to do it in which the users are consenting by nature because they want a better experience. And I think that that's the, that's the even exchange, wherever you're saying, here's my data, like entertain me or give me information, um, as opposed to, you know, like you're tracking me in the background, Google, and now you're gonna like sell me toothpaste because I went to the dentist today and it was in my Google calendar. <laughs> All right. The last topic I have on deck is um, from the YouTube creator playlist, and it's just some tips about um, capturing the audience's attention and kind of keeping them watching. So the general concept of capturing an audience's attention up front is pretty well known, um, but here are a couple tips that you can use. So the first one is to tease the rest of the video so the audience is intrigued about what they're going to watch. Um, another one is to make it clear what your video is about early on so viewers aren't confused what they're watching. Um, and the last one is to share your branding towards the end of the video um, and also to make it compelling by either making it entertaining or making it unique to each video. So just a few tips for um, kind of making that first 15 seconds eye-catching. By the end of this podcast, only one of us will walk out of this room alive. <laughs> You can use that. We could cut that in and we could make that the beginning of a video oh, or something. That definitely capture their attention, right? That would capture. I thought about that one the other day. Like <laughs> any any type of show or movie or anything that catch, that's like by the end of this, like 
X, Y, Z will happen. I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm in hard. But um, the so that's actually really old. Uh, I think I think I sent that one to you because I found found it interesting. Um, that one was written in 2011. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I did it. It was 2011 that that article was written by YouTube, and to this day, it's referenced across the web, um, and it's still something that they teach at their YouTube creator uh, events that they bring people to. Um, and so, to me, that when you think about things that are core to an algorithm. Um, that is something that YouTube Forever has decided that is a core principle of what we're trying to provide in terms of experience, which is content creators that are really great at creating stickiness, I would say. So like how many YouTube videos do you probably bounce off of within the first like 20 seconds or you get a long ad, you bounce off. But like uh, I was talking to, I think SUNY again yesterday, we were talking about videos because he obviously works on a lot of video here. Um, the most frustrating how-to videos are the ones where somebody's like, all right, let me just boot up my MacBook today. It's a little slow. Let me just open up the window here. Oh, got to run an update. You're like, ah, and then you scroll through and then in the middle is the thing that you wanted and you click past. They're like, all right, here we're starting. And then you click ahead and then they're like, and we're done. You're like, now I got to find that sweet spot in the middle here. And I think that, um, yeah, as video gets more and more competitive, which I think it's, going to be really big this year in terms of importance for all publishers you really should get them you should really be thinking more about how do i create smaller denser content as opposed to like this longer more complicated i think people want simple and easy people take less production with good information over high production and like a bunch of worthless info yeah i'm definitely a big fan of the teasing some of the content in the beginning just so you know what you're getting into you just mentioned like AMS. Wait, what is it? AMSR. AMSR. Yeah, that's it, right? This whole episode is going to be us trying to pronounce. I just call it ASMR. But I've been watching more and more of those videos. I'm falling like. Are you one of the people? I'm one of the people. I used to just watch it on Instagram, but do you, do you feel like if you listen to them, like as you try to go to sleep, you would go to sleep faster? I was up until one in the morning watching ASMR videos oh, no. last night. Um, you might be a psychopath. I think so, <laughs> um, but I was actually watching them on YouTube versus Instagram, and Instagram is of course just like one minute clips. But but you like went deep. I you went were, deep. You were and like, was I want to watch long form 20 ASMR minute videos. Um, but all of them had a little teaser in the beginning of all the videos. So my wife is on the opposite spectrum. She can't listen to it. It's like it makes her cringe. So she um, there. There's a number of people out there in the same way that people like get really into ASMR. There are people out there that can't stand the sound of like guttural noises. So if she hears the sound of like someone chewing or something like that, she just like she shells up. So it's it's really interesting because it goes to what we were talking about earlier. People like kind of there's these weird pockets of different things. Like we I think we mentioned it before in this the show, but it's like who would have ever thought something as gross as like pimple popping videos and stuff like Ugh. that would ever be popular? Yeah. And it's like there are people living in the Hollywood Hills that have made fortunes off of pimple popping videos. I mean it's, that's a thing. It's hit like network television now. I've seen um like commercials for that'll be like a show on Fox in a year, <laughs> 7 p.m. during prime time. It's just like pimple popping, Oof. like all new, just right after the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> um, that's all the topics that we have for today's. Uh, there anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think that's it. Um, hopefully, we don't get taken down because they use the word Super Bowl. 
I think it's trademarked. Oh, is it? I think we can talk about it. We I can don't talk know. about it. It's well. I don't it's, think anyone else. I think is it's gonna. public domain. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna pretend like I know how that works. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Anything from you? We did recently do a survey about publisher priorities. Uh, maybe we can tease some of the findings in our next episode. Um, but we will be having some content come out on that. Yeah, it should be really exciting to look at. Yeah, I think we kind of teased some of the things earlier today. Video, obviously, being one of them, but. I think there are a lot of challenges and things that publishers are interested in this year. Maybe we can uncover some of those in the next podcast. Uh, and speaking of, I think we teased earlier, I mean, video, <laughs> keep bringing it up. But yeah, this this podcast, for example, we're now recording on video. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, and we also have clips on our Instagram uh, channel. The Instagram is Ezoic Platform. But um, fortunate for us, if you do want to ask us questions now, it's it's a lot easier. You can go to publisherlabpodcast.com. That's publisherlabpodcast.com. You can sign up for our newsletter that we often reference. You can listen to past episodes, download them, see pictures of Shelby. So if you're like, what does Shelby look like? You can see them. And then um, also you can ask us questions. So it's easier than ever before. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have more questions, I think, on the show. So that's it. That's all. All right. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Publisher Lab.